when I first started doing this work in 2008, the statistic was that um, victims, the average age of entry is 12 to 14. Now they're saying that average age is 10 to 12. And so victims are getting younger and younger. Why? Because we're not doing what it takes to prevent it. So mm -hmm. what are some things that we can do to prevent it? First of all, communication is number one key. I think that we have to begin to have the conversations and we have to have the hard conversations. We have to have the hard conversations with our government. We have to have conversations with our pastors, with our community leaders. We just have to have the hard upfront confrontational conversations because we can't keep putting our children on the back burner. Don't compare journeys. Your journey is your specific journey and you will be guided to the best way to get you where we go. I believe that right now is a great opportunity to leverage the power of voice. David Copperfield is a billionaire. Not a millionaire, he's a billionaire. And how did he become this? He tapped into something profound, which is the art of storytelling. Be on air. Powered by Podcast Farm. Hey everyone, I just wanted to drop in real quick and give a quick trigger warning on this episode. This is a very intense episode, heavy episode. Uh, we talk about uh, child abduction, human sex trafficking, and just some, some heavy stuff. And at the same time, it's such important information because we, we have to arm ourselves with this knowledge so that we can prevent it happening to our kids and to build a, a safer future for them. So I just wanted to put that warning out in case uh, anyone is not prepared for that or not wanting to, to hear that at this moment. You can also read the transcript if that is easier. And yeah, uh, Dr. Marlene Carson is an incredible human being, a survivor, and she has an inspiring story. So if you stick around, it is worth it. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is a superhero, superheroine. And I am honored to get to learn, listen, and share her story with you all today. She has received many awards and commendations, including President Barack Obama's Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award. Dr. Marlene Carson, Sir Thrivalist, minister, author, publisher, founder of Rahab's Hideaway, and CEO of the Switch Anti-Trafficking Network, is one of America's foremost authorities on the subject of human trafficking. She is also a member of the United States Advisory Council on Human Trafficking. And while many have a textbook knowledge of the perils faced by teenage girls who are forced into prostitution, Marlene knows from her own personal experience. At age 15, she became one of the tens of thousands of girls and young adult women who are exploited daily. Marlene's work has been a leader in changing legislation. Her work has been featured on Katie Couric, Oprah, and the CNN Freedom Project, as well as on international national news. As a consultant, one of Marlene's desires is to educate and empower organizations that have a passion to protect, a desire to provide, and ability to see victims as priceless. So I am so excited to have you here, Marlene. Thank you so much for making time to, to join us today and uh, share your story. Welcome. I am absolutely excited to be here with you. So, you know, you're a powerhouse and you're leading an amazing project, which we're going to get into into more detail in a bit. But right off the bat, what do you want the audience to know about the reality of sex trafficking and its effect? What I want them to know is that sex trafficking is very real. Um, I was on a podcast last night and um, someone said to me, well, this doesn't happen in my neighborhood. And the reality of it is 
most people don't think that it happens in their neighborhood or their community even, but sex trafficking is not a third world country, um, something that happens in Thailand or something that happens um, just, just in India. It happens right here in the United States of America. And the thing that we need to really know is how to keep our children safe, how to keep our communities safe. And so when we end this podcast, it's my goal um, to give you some resources and the tools that you need, the information you need to keep your community safe. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And one of the things we were talking about before we hopped on the call is, is the need per, for prevention, not just intervention. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I'd be curious if you could, if you could give a little bit of, of a backstory on, on your story so that people mm-hmm. can get to know you a little bit, and then maybe we can go into your, the, the work that you're doing now. Sure. So um, I am the youngest of five siblings. My um, two-parent household grew up in a Christian church, I mean, a Christian home. And the interesting part about my story is a lot of family support. We lived down the street from my grandmother. Um, Our community was that type of community. You know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, we lived in the community that if I got in trouble down the street from my house, Every parent had permission to chastise me until I got home. And then my mother was really going to chastise me when I got home. So we lived in the community that everyone went to church together. You know, the kids were all in the same school. It wasn't like they were getting shipped off or bussed out to another school district. And so we lived in a community environment. And there was someone that moved into our community. Um, It was a husband and wife couple. They had no children. And when they moved into our community, the community embraced them just like you would a neighbor. And so when the community embraced them, they um, became acquainted with all of our parents. They became chaperones at our school. Um, They were members of the church, the whole nine yards. And so you could have never told any of the parents or even myself, I didn't know what trafficking was at the time, that it was something wrong. You know, you could have never, he left for work every day, like someone that was going to a job. So there were no suspicions or red flags there. Um, It just looked like a normal couple. And they had been there probably for about uh, 12 months. And they begin to ask questions like, um, ask your mom, can you all go to the zoo with us? And so it was four of us um, teenage girls that all hung together. I was 13 at the time. And uh, of course, the zoo was like 40 minutes down the street from our house. So that was no big deal. And then a couple of months later, they would say, ask your mom, um, can you go to King's Island? Well, King's Island is only an hour and a half from our house. No big deal. Um, But if you notice, the trips are getting further and further. We recognize that now. Um, Then they ask, can you go to Cedar Point? Cedar Point is like two and a half hours away from our house. And so um, trips are getting further and further. Still no red flag because they were all in Ohio. So um, when I turned 15 years old, they asked, asked the girls, ask your mom, can you go to New York City with us? And I was modeling at the time. Every girl wanted to go to New York City. And um, it was just kind of a big deal. The reason it was a big deal, because we were models and and, um, that was the place that, you know, all the modeling happened, really. That's where the designers are, things like that. And so uh, my mother said, no, you cannot go. And my other friend's mom said yes. And so um, I really wanted to go bad. 
So he would tell me, I didn't recognize this then, but he would tell me, ask your mom when she's busy. Ask your mom when she's on the telephone. Ask your mom when she's talking to your dad. And what I didn't realize then, he was basically saying, ask your mom while she's distracted. And so to the parents that are listening to this podcast, it is so incredibly important. There are strategies that um, traffickers or, or even those that don't mean your children good, they know a little more than your child and they will tell them when things should be done. So like this guy was telling me, ask your mom when she's distracted. I didn't know what that meant, to be quite honest. And so one day my aunt had gotten to a car wreck. She pulled up at our house. Um, you could see the car was clearly wrecked and her face had been bleeding. Well, you can see the swelling and everything on her face. And so we were outside jumping double dutch. Kids don't jump double dutch outside anymore. But we were outside jumping double dutch. And he looked up at me. He was sitting on his screened in porch and he looked up and he said, go ask your mother now. So I remember running to the house. I ran to the house and I got there right before my aunt got in the house. And um, so my mother, she sees me, but she really sees my aunt because my aunt is in need. She, you know, so I'm like, mom, please, can I go? And my mother just said yes. So I had my yes. I was able to go. And um, it's probably the biggest mistake I've made in my entire life. So we go to New York City, all the way to New York City. We're, che we're singing gospel songs all the way to New York City. I mean, we're just having fun as kids. We all grew up in church. So we were just having fun. And then we get to New York City. We go to Canal Street. They take us shopping. Um, and they told us to come back around 8 o'clock. We were supposed to go to a Broadway show. That should have been my first red flag. But I didn't think about that. They told us that we were going to this Broadway show. When we walked in the in the hotel room, I wish I still picture this wall. They had um, racks of clothes around the room, and these racks of clothes look like um, costumes for strippers. I know that now, as a fifteen year old virgin girl that was raised in the church, I never seen anything like this. So he gave me this blue dress a lace dress, you can see through it clearly, with pasties and a thong. I'd never seen a thong. I had never seen pasties at that time. And um, when one of the other girls said, she's not putting that on, he smacked her. And so I remember looking up at his wife and this lady, his wife, she was legally married to him, but we found out she was his first victim. We found that out as court cases went on and all that kind of stuff. But um, I looked up at her like, what the heck is going on? And and she looked at me and she looked so sad. And she said, just do what he says. And that weekend I was sold into prostitution as a virgin girl. I remember um, being at the hotel. She was there with me when we walked, walked in the hotel. There was a guy sitting in the corner. So I, I'm assuming now that all the money and everything had been transferred way before I got there. So this was planned. This was not something that just <laughs> go to a room and this guy's going to come. No, this was all set up way before we got there. And oh my God, I, Kaylee, I literally just felt like I died that day. I literally, every time I tell this story and I've told it thousands of times, something in me just literally like sinks to my gut 
because and it doesn't sink so much for me anymore. But my this feeling I have is for the other victims that I know that are being exploited today. I get sick when I think about what's happening to our children. And so that happened to me. Um, four girls left for New York City. Only three girls came back. I didn't know what happened to the other girl. They, the couple who took us, they acted like um, they really were evasive as to what happened to her. We found out they didn't know what happened to her, but they used her absence as another fear tactic to tell us that if we told, they were going to kill us too. But they hadn't killed that girl. They did, but we didn't know that at the time. So we didn't tell. We just didn't tell. When we came back and Paris, this is another thing that you need to be very conscious of. When you're talking to your child and they start to give you one word answers, dig. You need to dig a little more. So when, when they asked us, what did we do? I said nothing. How, did, how was your trip? Fine. You know, I started giving one word answers. And so now one of the things that I teach is motivational interviewing, especially for parents. You need to know how to communicate with your children where you're really getting the answers that you need to get from your child. Not this one word stuff that something is clearly being hidden. And so I thought that was the end of my nightmare, Kaylee, and it wasn't. Um, two weeks later, I live right across the street from my junior high school. And two weeks later, I'm going to school. Um, I see his car pull up in the parking lot. His brother tells me to get in the car and I try to run. He snatches me and throws me in the car and they kept me for eight months. And during that eight month period, I went across the country with several teenagers and we were all being exploited. Um, we were rescued in Chicago after a bus happened. We were brought back to Columbus, Ohio, and um, he was arrested. Um, the, the, the wife, she went through a process, but she didn't go to prison. He did, and he got sentenced two to 10, and he only did seven and a half months. But I'm going to tell you something. So that was before human trafficking laws came out. Human trafficking laws just came out in 2000. So the it's called the Traffic Victims Protection Act. That act just started in 2000 and every um, state had to adopt that law. Unfortunately, my state of Ohio didn't adopt the law until 2013. What? So <laughs> you look at your oh face. My God. I know. Right. And so and, and that's the other piece of this. The law trafficking, what's really going on and what needs to happen. So when there is a bill that comes out, um, when there is legislation that comes out, we need to know it, understand it and back it, because this is what it takes to keep our children safe. Mm -hmm. If we're not doing that, we're missing it. We're, we're missing it bad. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing a lot. There's so many there's so many points to address. I'm hearing the prevention piece, like you're giving some extremely important tools for parents to tune in to their to their kids and to protect them from this happening and your story is is devastating and tragic and also really inspiring that you have the courage and the and the um the inspiration to be doing this work and so you uh it's you said there was court cases this person mm -hmm. got out and is, did it just end there? Did that? Did that oh, no. Up? Oh, no, no. Well, he did two to 10 and um, he got seven. He did. Well, he got sentenced two to 10. He did seven and a half months. But that's by far the story did not end there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I will just tell you this really fast forward. Um, this same person just got arrested four years ago for the exact same crime. He took four teenage girls from Ohio to, um, they were going to Texas. He got busted in St. Louis, Missouri. He had four teenage girls and two adult women. And this time though, he was sentenced 25 years Hmm. and it had to do 20.7 before he's released. And so you can tell the difference of the time when I was taken and trafficked and now. So things are working. They just don't work fast enough. Right. No, they just don't work enough. Like when it comes to our kids, I just think we need to put a lot more protections in place when it comes to our children. So you're on the advisor. You're a member of the um, uh, advisory council on human trafficking. So have what, what has that been like? What is that experience like? And how is that shifting legislation? And how is that shifting, um, you know, our thoughts and our thinking around trafficking in general? So I've been on the um, U.S. Advisory Council since April. Um, I was appointed by then President Trump. Um, and what we do is we make recommendations, excuse me, we make recommendations to all governmental entities on how to Um, how their particular entity can um, support, abolish, end um, trafficking. Um, My passion is housing. Mm. Uh, My passion is absolutely housing. So one of the things that I was interested in doing is really speaking to the housing of of urban development um, when it comes to housing traffic victims. That is something that an area where if, if, Victims are not in safe housing. And I'll give you a great example. But if victims are not in safe housing, um, they'll continuously be re-exploited just to have a bed to sleep in and mm-hmm. or just to have a meal, just to have basic necessities. But I'm going to tell you, so we're in the midst of COVID. And because we're in the midst of COVID, the governors put out a shelter in place order. Well, I don't think they realize when they put this shelter in place order in that victims have to shelter with their abuser. And unfortunately, traffickers can care less about um, COVID and and buyers can care less about COVID because we were just told that trafficking has gone up by 46 percent. And so we're talking about with children under 18 years old. Right. And so when you think about those dynamics, there has to be some other answers out here. And this is where I think that communities, churches, organizations have to come back together again and become the village to help keep our children safe. We have to. Mm-hmm. There's uh, That resonates so strongly. And I mean, I'm hearing again, this, this prevention piece is really important. Mm-hmm. So you, there, the intervention, that's what you're doing. And you have this facility, which I'd love to talk about in a little bit, but the prevention piece seems so, so essential. So can you talk a little bit about that and how, how do we continue to build in preventative measures in all of our communities? Absolutely. So Um, prevention to me is number one key. We can, we have to get ahead of every issue. And I, sometimes I think about like the domestic violence issue, um, the, to help a woman or a person, because it could be a man, to help a victim of domestic violence after the fact, it only um, keeps them safe for a while. It only Because if we don't put measures in place to prevent this, it's going to happen again. That's just the facts. And so what we see with um, the traf- anti-trafficking movement, 
like I was saying to you, Kaylee, I am tired of rescuing victims. They're getting younger and younger. When I first started doing this work in 2008, the statistic was that um, victims, the average age of entry is 12 to 14. Now they're saying that average age is 10 to 12. And so victims are getting younger and younger. Why? Because we're not doing what it takes to prevent it. So Mm -hmm. what are some things that we can do to prevent it? First of all, communication is number one key. I think that we have to begin to have the conversations and we have to have the hard conversations. We have to have the hard conversations with our government. We have to have conversations with our pastors, with our community leaders. We just have to have the hard upfront confrontational conversations because we can't keep putting our children on the back burner. When it comes to our foster care systems, they are broken. I think it was 78% of all traffic victims were in foster care, that's a broken system. When do we say, when do we just take a real look at closer look at this system and say, how can we prevent this from happening with our children? So that's number one. Communication is number one to me. And, and then secondly, I just believe that um, as a community, education and awareness. So we have tried, and not, I'm just saying not we, I mean, survivor leaders around the country have tried aimlessly to get into schools, to educate the schools, the teachers, the janitor, the, the cafeteria workers on sex trafficking. But if we can't educate the ones that can prevent this from happening, it happens in our ki- to our kids. It happens in schools every day. One of I have a book out. It's called 12 Steps to Transform the Exploited Soul. And in that book is a true story. The safety and security um, leader, uh, like a police officer of the school, was also the trafficker mm. who ended up getting arrested, you know, but okay. trafficked the girl who was 14 years old and many others. The girl that's in, in my book, um, she's 14 years old. And so those are the things we have to get in front of. We have to make sure that if we are hiring people that that are in these positions, what kind of background checks are we doing? What kind of accountability accountability do they have? There's just so much that can be in place. And then this is the last thing I'll say. There is an anti-trafficking hotline number. This number is absolutely vital that everyone everyone should have this number. The number is 888-373-373. 7888. I'll say it again. 888-373-7888. When you call that number, you, you should call that number if you feel like something, you see something and something just doesn't sit right. You may not know if it's a trafficking situation or not, but if it is and you don't call, <laughs> that victim is, is in trouble. If it's not, at least you made the call and there may be something else that's going on that you just don't know what it is. So the fact of the matter is, if you see something, say something. That's just the bottom. See something, say something. I'm so adamant about that because there was a teacher who actually saw me being taken. I didn't know she saw me um, probably probably about 13 years later. I was in the Columbus Public School. I was doing a presentation for Professional Development Day. She was retired, but she came because she heard I was going to be there. And after that, after my session, she told me, she she apologized. She said she was sorry. The woman was crying. And I said, you know, a lot of people say that they feel overwhelmed by, you know, this experience. And I told her, it's okay. You don't, you know, don't worry about it. 
And she said, no, I saw them take you. She saw it and she never did anything about it. Mm. That phone call could have changed the whole trajectory of my life. The only good thing about it now is I'm able to help others in this situation. But the fact of the matter is we don't want to wait till these kids get it. We don't. We don't. We just have to do something. We have to. Absolutely. It's the 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 amount of work as well to to support and help someone recover afterwards oh my takes so many more resources right and it so does. really it hearing does. that the prevention is is essential and so mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about the facility the amazing sure. facility that mm-hmm. you're in and all the work that your incredible team is doing you gave me a little bit of a tour beforehand but I'd love <laughs> for the audience to to get to hear about this amazing place Yes, thank you so much. So um, in 2008, I started Rahab's Hideaway. And Rahab's Hideaway is a shelter for victims of sex trafficking. It's located in Columbus, Ohio. And Rahab's Hideaway was for adult women. Um, And around 2013, we got a case, Kaylee. In this case, the victim was a six-year-old girl. And that right there just sent me. I, I didn't want to do this work anymore. I didn't want to be associated with anymore. And so I quit doing this work from 2013 to 2016. And I just, my sister also runs um, an organization. So I just kind of worked with her. Well, in 2016, I kind of got my mojo back and I said, I'm going to start education and awareness. People need to know how to keep their kids safe. So in 2016, I started the Switch Anti-Trafficking Network. And that's what we do, education and public policy. And so in 2019, I started being asked to start a housing organization. And I said, no, I don't ever want to do housing again. I don't ever want to do direct services. And so then when COVID hit, we started getting calls from victims saying that they had to shelter in place with their perpetrator and they were being abused, severely abused. And so we started actually housing women across the country in hotel rooms. And that got expensive really, really fast. Mm -hmm. That got expensive. And so this lady came to me um, in the building that you're talking about now, which we now call Rahab Soap of Ohio. And she had a nursing home in um, part of kind of like Amish country region. She had this nursing home and I told her, I said, I'll come and see it, but I'm not interested in doing housing because I was fighting it all the way, trust me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, when, I, when I walked in the door, I knew that I would probably be doing housing. And so Rahab Soap of Ohio is a 32-bed facility. It sits on nine acres. Um, the beauty a part of it is shaped like an H. Each wing of the H has its own kitchen. It has a commercial kitchen. Um, it has like a spa area, a fitness area. We'll have a podcast room here. But the uh, main reason for Rahab's Hope Yes, it's to get ladies safe, it's to get children safe. But the one thing that we've noticed nationally is women that come out of sex trafficking, um, they can be out for a year or two, their lives can be seemingly on track, but they can't get a job. Mm-hmm. They don't have the education. And so they're not able to sustain their families or take care of themselves properly, which leads them back into prostitution. So here at Rehab's Hope of Ohio, it is our hope and our goal to teach um, economic sustainability, um, education, entrepreneurship, 
Um, we have so many businesses here. It is absolutely amazing. And so I'm super excited about it. And you did get a glimpse of it. I am here in that building right now. And um, we're here painting and just moving furniture and, and, and getting it all together for, we hope to open by the end of May. Mm. And that sound that we're hearing, uh, <laughs> listeners, is is that is the sound of creating a safe, amazing, restorative place. So, so that sound is a beautiful sound right now. I'm curious, Marlene, what happened that changed your mind? Because you're you're so before you walk into the building, you're like, <laughs> I don't want to do housing, and then something happened. What happened for you? Well, what happened was too many girls started calling me, and I felt responsible because I have the knowledge on how to create housing. And I felt that it would be very selfish of me not to do something that I know I have, I'm very capable of doing. And so um, I just kind of put myself to the side and I said, whatever it takes, you know, I'm in it. And then Kaylee, the other reality of it is this building was for sale. We didn't have the budget. We didn't have, this was a total faith walk, literally. Mm. But I can tell you the community and the people um, I've been doing many podcasts and they have been raising money for us. We have a campaign right now called um, the Pieces of a Dream campaign. And the Pieces of a Dream campaign is a uh, it's a virtual fundraiser. So we're asking people host um, that will host the Pieces of a Dream campaign. We're asking them to raise one thousand dollars. You can ask 10 people for $1,000 or you can donate $1,000. Once you do, you will receive a puzzle piece or we will design a puzzle piece for you. You put your name, your corporation name, your church name or whatever name you want on it. But it's going to go on the walls of our facility that say pieces of a dream. And what that does for people, it sh for victims, it shows them that people are concerned about them. You know, sometimes you just, as a survivor, you feel like nobody understands. Nobody understands my plight. They don't understand my trauma. They don't understand my future. And we want a future. You know what I'm saying? We want to live for real. And that was the one thing, reason that helped me change my mind is because these women deserve to live. These And then I want to break the cycle of the next generation. If we don't teach women how to live that have been exploited, what do you think their children are going to do? Yes. We yes. have to break this cycle. And that's, yeah. So this is why I'm here. So <laughs> and I, I'm excited I, my, to do it. I feel like uh, I, I'm getting goosebumps hearing you because it's it's just so spot on. And actually, I'm just going to give a shout out here to Resma Menikem, oh. uh, an amazing, amazing author. And he, he talks so much about the trauma stored in our bodies. And so I think what you're what you're addressing here is that there has to be the 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 intervention and there has to be yes. dealing with the people yes. that are that are suffering now but in order to help the next generation as well as the young kids who are here now we have to we have to put yeah, in, in the so, whole family whole family and i love this this call to a, a more communal living it takes mm -hmm. a village right mm -hmm. and so you're That's kind of right. creating this village with uh, with this facility Absolutely. and i'm hearing that the need for housing is because people will get back into it people yes. if they don't oh, have yeah, a base for sure. Then, For sure. And hey, so you this mentioned is the, that book. I want to ask you a question. Have you read yeah. the book, The Body Keeps the Score? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Let me let me check it out. It's by Bessel van der Kort. And so Bessel does neurofeedback. And we mm -hmm. have been so honored. Uh, I am so incredibly honored 
we actually get to do a training with him. Wow. I know that is major. Um, so Vessel Vandercourt, the body keeps the score. We talk about trauma and trauma lodges in the body in different ways. And I'm going to speak personally myself. You can't see it and I won't show it to you on air, but my left arm is actually bigger than my right arm. I mean, significantly bigger. It's almost like I had lymphedema or something. And the doctor said, I don't have lymphedema. Um, they said this is results of like a woman who has had breast cancer and has, has had a mastectomy. Her lymph nodes are not um, releasing properly. I've never had any of that. Hmm. But my left arm is significantly bigger than the other one. And at the end of the day, they did concluded that it's trauma. Mm-hmm. It's, it's and they exploited. have no idea of the story that happened to my left arm while I was being exploited. Mm-hmm. They have no idea of that. They found out about that independently and sort of verified totally it you have the memory of what I know. Happened. Wow. Yeah. I wow. know what happened. They don't know what happened. My doctors does not know what happened. And so I understand that it's nothing but trauma. So I'm very honored to be able to work with Bessel and his team. Uh, but definitely get that book. It's a good one. I will. Thank you for that. And sure. would, you, so would you talk just briefly about Peerpreneur? Because I, this is what kind of brought us together is yeah. we're on Clubhouse, I think, in a room. And <laughs> I heard you speaking and then we connected. But I'm so excited what you're doing with the education component of this and the entrepreneurial aspect. So could you share a little bit about that? Sure. Peerpreneur. So I am a peer with the state of Ohio and I'm a peer facilitator, actually. So what that means is people with a mental health uh, addiction or have been exploited, um, peers are needed to help others come out of those situations. And so I am a master uh, trainer with Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services. And as I've been training, I've been training probably four years now. And as I've been training peers all across the state of Ohio and actually Ohio, Michigan, um, New York and Pennsylvania and Florida. And so what I realized is I'm on these trainings and I'm asking people things like, how are you guys doing today? Just the average question. And one may say, I don't have any food at home. Or they may say, I don't I don't have a place to stay. They could. It's we can't do trainings on cell phones, and you can tell when you're on the cell phone on Zoom. And so I would have to like kind of kick them out of class because of that. And they would say I don't have access to, to a computer because of this and that. And they're telling me all this stuff. And so I got this burden, Kaylee, um, to help peers, my peers, create income. So I started something called Peerpreneur. And Peerpreneur in that, it's $17.99 a month. And I have so many peers. Just think about this. I have peers that have been exploited and I have peers that are CEOs. Okay. So my my peer experience goes all across the board. But for $17.99 a month, we're actually teaching people how to monetize their intellectual property, how to monetize their story. Um, how to write a book. And it doesn't have to necessarily be their story, but we'll teach them how to write a book, how to market the book. We're teaching courses in there, teaching them how to create their own courses. I just feel like one of the greatest reasons why women go back into X being exploited is all because they can't feed themselves. Let's bridge that gap. Let's teach others how to monetize. Even for me, when I came out of the life of exploitation, um, this guy, he was a um, HR director at Nationwide Insurance. 
And he's a friend of a friend. And he set me down because I needed a job. I needed to get some income. I have four children as a result of the life. I have four children. And so he sat me down and he says, I'm old, Kaylee. So he was typing on a typewriter. And he's like, um, tell me what you did in prostitution. And I'm like, what do you mean? We sold sex. I was kind of getting aggravated. And he said, no, Marlene, tell me what your day to day looked like. And so I began to break down my day for him. And he's typing. He hands me this paper. And I said, what's this? He said, it's your resume. Go get a job. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. On this paper, Kaylee, it said customer service, sales, marketing, public relations, it had all these titles and these descriptions. I said, I didn't do this stuff. He said, that's exactly what you did. And so in essence, what he taught me was how to use transferable skills, how to take what I learned in a really bad situation and use them now for the good. And so one of the things that I am very passionate about is teaching others. And you don't have to be a victim of sex trafficking. You don't have, you don't have, everybody's a victim of something, in my opinion. I don't care what it is. Everybody has a story. But if you just have the desire to do better for yourself and your family for only $17.99 a month, we are going to teach you. Oh, my goodness. We're going to teach you. We're going to we're going to teach you a lot. And the, the fun, let me say this. The funds from Peerpreneur actually are going towards the shelter and scholarships for victims. Amazing. Amazing. And and that was one of the things that just ignited this inspiration to get you on here as soon as possible and uh, <laughs> uh, share your story. And so, you know, we're, we're getting to the end of this of our time together for today. Um, could you speak a little bit on on the funding aspect? I mean, I know there's the purepreneur. That's one way. Is there another yeah. way that people could contribute and support what you're doing? Sure. You can go to rehabshopeofohio.org. Um, you can donate there. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> you can donate there. Um, my cash app is on Clubhouse for those that are listening that will be on Clubhouse. I'm actually getting ready to set up our own club on Clubhouse. So we'll be hanging out there as well. Um, and and um, I think that's about it. Yeah. Cash app and, and our website. Absolutely. Oh, so I that, want to tell you one more thing. Yeah, please. So we are launching, we are launching our own candle business. And it's called Mission of Light. And Mission of Light, I'm telling these candles, the ladies will be making the candles. We, these candles smell so good you want to eat them. So just be careful. <laughs> the only thing I can guarantee you won't gain weight. So don't <laughs> just by smelling them. But we have this one candle called Lemon Pound Cake. I swear it's so, it smells so good. Wow. But uh, Mission of Light is just that. It is our goal and our mission to be the light that others can come out of the darkness of sex trafficking. This is so inspiring and I kind of want to end with like, maybe we could, we could tell, maybe you'd be willing to tell how you came out of, of that life. And, and maybe that'll, that'll kind of serve as a, a transition for my last question. Okay. Um, I want to tell this part of how I came out. There was a couple, um, she found out about my story and I didn't trust people, Kaylee. I, I mean, after going through all this, it was kind of hard to trust anybody. And it seemed like during a certain period of time, people would hear the story. They would know things happen and they would, their hearts would be moved for the moment mm. in the moment after hearing this, but there was no follow-up. 
there was no action after it. And so I'm not really interested in telling like the stories that uh, get people uh, have a knee-jerk reaction. We want long-time sustainable things. So this couple, they found out about my story and she said she wanted to help me. And I said, how do you want to help? So um, she taught me how to sell Arbon. Arbon is like a Mary Kay company, okay? Mm-hmm. And I thought this is the dumbest thing in the world. This woman wants me to sell lipstick, okay? But can I tell you about eight, maybe six to eight weeks later, I sold a lot of that product. <laughs> so not only did I sell a lot of that product, see, in the life of exploitation, I, I was taught how to recruit. And so I would recruit women to come and sell lipstick. And I made like $30,000 in two months. Wow. This is why I know that entrepreneurship, to me, education and entrepreneurship will get you out of sex trafficking. It did for me. I am really clear on that. And so this couple, as I started making money, they said, we want to get you and your children in a safe neighborhood, what they considered a safe neighborhood. They paid my rent for a year. They bought me a car. They I mean, they really did what it took to set me up for success. And I took total advantage of everything they offered me. She said, read a book. I'm reading the book. If she said, go here, I'm going there. I did everything they told me. And it absolutely changed my life. It took someone else that had a bigger vision than me to be able to show me the way. And so now that we're here, we can show others the way. And, and anybody that is listening to this podcast, if you're in entrepreneurship and have any form of success, they can help. I asked this question, and I know, Kelly, we're going to end this podcast, but I'm going to ask one question. Whenever I'm in a, group, a room full of people, I like to ask them, what if you can do what you love to fight what you hate? Do what you love. You don't have to come in and mop the floors and clean the bathrooms or or even work with victims one on one because some people don't have the capacity for that. Mm -hmm. But what if you are a graphic designer and you're passionate about it? Do you know how much money would save us if we just had a graphic designer? Do you know how if we just had people that do what they're absolutely our lawyers, our law firm that we have, um, they have been our attorneys for a long time. And then they came to hear me speak. There was a, 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 a conference someone did and they were there. They were $450 per hour before that conference. After that conference, they started charging us $45 an hour. Do you know how much money that saved us? And then how much how we felt more comfortable with calling our legal team Mm -hmm. when we wanted to start a business or when we didn't know how to do something. And so because we've actually never been a funded organization, I don't Mm -hmm. get government grants. Mm -hmm. I don't. So every no, I've never got a government grant ever. Do you know how hard it is to get a government grant and how competitive that is? Mm -hmm. And so everything we do is we, far as funding, is usually corporate donations, private donations, or social enterprise. Mm. So I believe in the power of social enterprise and entrepreneurship. And that couple that came alongside and walked me through this process, they're the reason I am out and safe today. This is so inspiring, and this is why I am your your uh, student and fan. Uh, <laughs> I, I also share that that vision of entrepreneurship and and creating media, creating broadcasts uh, mm-hmm. to connect us with incredible people like yourself, who I would never have met otherwise. So, 
you hear that everyone out there if you if your heart was moved by this story which i'm sure it was because my audience is amazing and they have huge hearts <laughs> i ask you personally to not just let it be a momentary sway of your heart but to take some action and however that looks you know we've we've spoken about there's different things if you're watching this i'm putting up on the screen you know to prevent there's communication we need to have hard com conversations we need to educate our youth and our educators and anyone who comes into contact with our our kids and three if you see something say something it's okay to hurt feelings and it's okay to be wrong That's it's not right. okay to let someone get taken and the hotline 888-373-7888 is the the line to call if you see something is this correct Marlene? yes absolutely that's correct so yes if if you have if you have felt connected to this story please uh connect with dr marlene carson check out the work talk to your community bring up these hard conversations i i request of you we have to take this seriously it may be the most serious problem that we have in our country and in the world is is what's happening with yeah. our youth Dr. Marlene, thank you so much for your time, your inspiration, the work you're doing. I'm so inspired by you and I can't wait to have you back on and I can't wait to be part of the Peerpreneur Network because it is so cool what you're doing. Thank you, Kaylee. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Until next time, catch you later. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Beyond Air. I hope you enjoyed it and are now one step closer to turning on your mic and broadcasting your message to the world. Are you ready to start your own podcast and amplify your brand? Or are you struggling to get your show in front of engaged audiences? I can help you on your broadcasting journey. Get in touch with me and apply for a strategy session if you want to discuss your podcast idea. You can reach me at www.podcast-farm.com. I'm on all the social media. Until next time, my friends, I'm Kaylee Marks. Thanks for tuning in to Be On Air.